How important is prayer to you? I know that seems like maybe a simple question or an easy question, but, but seriously, think about it. How important is prayer to you? And not only is it important to you, do you pray, but what do you pray about? We've been in this Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. This is our third week. We're moving into chapter three of Ephesians. And if you remember the first week in chapter one, Paul, he has this amazing prayer that he's praying for the Ephesians. And we get in chapter three, and here we are again in Ephesians three, and Paul is praying once again for the Ephesians. And the power and the words, the content of his prayer, it challenges me. It challenges me. I don't know if you've ever like prayed for someone or, or like you had someone else pray for someone and you heard like the prayers. I don't know if you've ever been around an old saint, someone that's been around forever. And man, it's like they just know how to touch the heart of God. And you hear them pray and it's like, man, I don't, I, you know, I prayed for the same situation they prayed for, but it seems like, man, what they prayed seems so much more powerful than what I was praying. It's like, what do they know that I don't? You know, what do they, what kind of revelation do they have? And if you look in chapter three here, Paul, the content of his prayer and the, the, you can just feel how passionate he is for the church in Ephesus. And the prayer is so strong. And listen, if you're wondering, if you don't know what to pray for people, I, look, just go to Ephesians 1, pray that prayer. Come to Ephesians 3, pray this prayer. This is a good prayer to pray for anybody, for yourself, for your family, for your kids, for your friends. Pray this prayer right here. We're gonna start in verse 14. Paul says this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This is what he prays for, three things. Listen, that according to the riches of his glory, number one, may he grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's the first thing. Number two, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then number three, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I want to look at these three things today that Paul prays, because if Paul is praying, that means it's possible. He's praying that, that these things could happen in the, in, in the Ephesians' lives and in their hearts. Number one, that their inner man would be strengthened. Number two, that Christ would dwell in their hearts richly. And number three, that they would know and be rooted in the love of God. I want to pray those three things for you today, that those three things would happen in your life. So as we're walking through uh, chapter three here, like we've done chapter one and two, man, I just pray that today you're encouraged. I pray that you are uh, strengthened and also maybe you are a little bit uh, pushed out of your comfort zone about the things you pray for. So number one, Paul says, for this reason, 
I bow my knees before the Father. Let's stop for a second before we look at the three things Paul prayed for. And let's look at the context of chapter three and what Paul is talking about. And why is Paul, why is he, why has he fallen on his knees before the Father? Like, what is he so overwhelmed about? What's on his mind? What's on his heart? And you'll see this if you go all the way back up. Let's go up to verse one and let's read a few of those verses in verse one. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. All right, let's stop for a second. Why is Paul overwhelmed? And he's overwhelmed in a good way and just in, in a circumstantial way. Number one, Paul says, I am a prisoner on behalf of you Gentiles. And quite literally, Paul was a prisoner. He's not just saying that metaphorically. When Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, Paul was in prison. And the reason he was in prison was because that he was proclaiming the message of the good news that God didn't just come to save Jews but he also came to save Gentiles. So Paul's literally telling the Ephesians, I'm in prison because of you. <laughs> I'm in prison because I came to preach to you the good news. And if you're wondering like, what is the backstory? Where do we get this? If you look in Acts chapter 21, you will see that Paul has been out on a missionary journey. He's been all over what is known as Asia Minor, Asia, which is modern day Turkey, which is where the church at Ephesus was. Paul had gone there and he had preached the good news and a lot of Gentiles came to Christ. That means people who are not Jewish, non-Jewish people, they got saved. And Paul was, the message he was preaching was this, that you are saved by grace through faith alone. That was the message to the Gentiles. And a lot of them believed in Jesus. So you have a lot of un-Jewish people believing in the Jewish Messiah that has come to save their souls. And when Paul comes back to Jerusalem, he comes back after the journey and some of the elders in the church, they come to Paul and they're like, Paul, this is amazing what God is doing through the Gentiles. It's, it's incredible. We're so excited. God is moving. But here's the deal, Paul. Like here's, here's kind of what's going on. Word has gotten back to the Jewish people here in Jerusalem that you're going around telling people that they don't have to uh, they don't have to be Jewish anymore in, in our customs. They don't have to, that they're not saved through the outward signs anymore. Like you're telling them they don't have to worry about circumcision. They, if they want to eat pork chops, they can eat pork chops. Uh, they don't have to observe holy days. Like all the outward appearances, all the things that make us Jewish, you're telling people not to worry about them, Paul. And it's kind of gotten back and people are a little upset about it. Hey, how about this, Paul? We're excited about what God's doing, but while you're here in Jerusalem, could you just act really Jewish for a few days? Like, could you just, you know, be extremely, uh, do all the things that good Jews would do just so people know you're not abandoning our customs and things like that. And you know what? Paul agreed. He said, okay, that's fine. And uh, I'll do it. But when Paul goes to the temple, something happens. Uh, some Jews that were from Asia, uh, even from Ephesus, they saw Paul at the temple and they got really mad and they got a big crowd stirred up and they said, this guy's defiling our temple. We saw him bring a Greek into the temple. We saw him bring a Gentile to the temple and he is defiling our temple. And in Acts, it says, it names a person. It says that they had saw, seen Paul earlier with 
a person named Trophimus from Ephesus. <laughs> so it all comes back to Ephesus. It all comes back to the Ephesian church. And Paul was arrested because he was preaching grace through faith alone. No longer these outward signs. It's not about the law of Moses. And it's not about, uh, you know, the customs and the way we dress and the things we eat. That's not what God is doing. God is saving people because of their faith in Jesus. And because Paul preached that message, that message got Paul in trouble and he got put in prison and he quite literally was a prisoner because he stuck his neck out for the Gentiles because he reached to the outsiders and said, I got good news for you outsiders, that, that God loves you and he sent his son Jesus to die for you and you just need to believe in him and you can take part. You can take part in all the promises that the Jews have had in Christ. I mean, that's what Paul says. Look, he says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. Here it is. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the same promise in Christ through the gospel. Now, why did I tell that to you? Because preaching the gospel was risky for Paul. He took a big risk. Why? Because when you proclaim Jesus is king, all the other power structures, all the other authorities, that is, that is uh, it's something they're threatened by. When you say Jesus is king, it means that the Roman emperor is not. It means when you say Jesus has reached to outsiders, it, it offends the, the ruling parties and the, the very strict people that were adhering to all the Jewish customs. It's, it's a threatening message. Here's what I wanna tell you about the gospel. It's a threatening message. Even today in 2021, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a threatening message. Just to get up and say, we believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is no other way to God except through the person, the resurrection and the life of Jesus Christ. I mean, when you say that in our pluralistic society, guess what? Our message is threatening and it could be risky for you to share that gospel message. But I just wanna encourage you today. Paul, he said, don't, don't, he told them in verse 13, he said, don't lose heart because of what I'm suffering for you. It is for your glory. It's, 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 I know it's risky, but it's worth it. <laughs> and listen, the gospel is, it's the gospel is risky business, but, but it's the good news. And I think about today, even, you know, right now I'm thinking about our brothers and sisters in Christ that are in Afghanistan right now. You know, Afghanistan, it's the second most hardest place to, to follow Christ in terms of persecution. Number one is North Korea. But to be a believer and to come out to convert to Christianity from Islam is punishable by death. I know it's in another part of the world and we could put it off in the back of our minds and not, not think about it, but, but these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and according to the gospel, according to what Paul is saying, before we are American and before they are Afghan, we are number one, all Christians. That's what we are. We are a holy nation, a new nation, a new humanity that God has made. And these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And today they are facing severe persecution. A lot of people over the centuries have given their life because the gospel, the message is risky. 
the great church father Tertullian, he said this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I don't know where we ever got off in our country. I don't know where we ever got off in America thinking the gospel is all about getting into a good, easy life and that it leads to all this prosperity and all the, and, and, and listen, if you follow Jesus, there's wisdom in his ways. I think it does lead to a prosperous life in a lot of ways, but this is a risky, risky message and it's powerful. It can't ever lose its bite <laughs> or we won't have any power to see people converted. But man, I think about our Christian brothers and sisters today who are giving their life, literally as we speak here today, they're giving their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know how you would respond if someone said, hey, if you have converted, if you believe in Jesus, we're gonna kill you right now. I don't know how you would respond. Honestly, I don't even know how I respond. I wouldn't wanna be too arrogant and to think, oh yeah, I'd lay down my life. You know, you know who else? Peter thought that. Peter told Jesus, even if everyone else abandons you, I'll never do it. He was so confident in himself and he got intimidated by a little girl at the foot of the cross. So I'm not, I don't know what my response would be. I don't know what your response would be, but I know our response as a church right now is we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan as they're going through this risky moment. In fact, right now, right where you are at, right where you're watching or listening, can we just take 30 seconds, 15 seconds and pray for our brothers and sisters right now? Come on, let's pray for them. Father, I pray right now for the protection and provision for the local believers, our Afghani brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for their families right now for protection. We pray for provision. God, we pray that they would have such courage, such perseverance in these difficulties as they go through this persecution. Father, we pray for those believers who are gathering in secret, even today, as they gather for fellowship, as they gather for prayer and encouragement and worship. God, we pray that the presence of God would be so strong where they meet and it would just encourage them like it, like it did the first believers, those first followers of Christ as they're laying it all on the line for you. God, we pray for the frontline workers, those that are evangelizing, discipling, leading house churches in Afghanistan. Lord, we just pray for them today. We lift them up to you. We know they're across the world, but they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, we just pray as they're risking their life as Paul did. Lord, I believe that what their sacrifice won't be in vain, but many will come to know you. And God, we just pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Paul's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed at maybe his situation, but God is using it for his glory. He's overwhelmed at the very mission of the church. I mean, what Paul believes and what Paul believes God is doing, it's overwhelming. Listen to how he thinks of the church. Starting in verse seven, he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone that is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. 
Paul is overwhelmed at the call of the church. Do you realize the call that's on me, the call that's on you? Listen, I know it's cool today to have like a low view of the church and we're not into institutional religion and all that kind of stuff. I get all those arguments. I know what people are saying, but I'm telling you what, if you read through the book of Ephesians, you will see that Paul had such a high view of the church. He believed that what God was doing in the church was cosmic. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Paul agrees with that. And then he adds, you're not only the light of the world, you're the light of the cosmos. What God is doing through the church, he puts it on display to all the rulers and authorities and principalities in high places. And he shows his wisdom through the church, through those principalities that tried to destroy mankind, that tried to destroy God's creation. God is renewing his creation through this one new holy race of people called the church. Listen, you can read Ephesians. You will not come out with a low view of the church. You will realize that number one, Jesus is the head of the church and he's connected to the church and you can't separate Jesus from the church. And number two, you can't separate us from each other. We're connected. We're unified through Jesus and what he does. The church is so important and God is displaying his manifold wisdom through the church. And so because all of that, because of that high calling, because of what God is doing on a cosmic level through the church, Paul is overwhelmed and he prays for you and he prays for me and he prays for the Ephesians. And the first thing he says is, oh God, make them strong in spirit. Do you know what we need right now? You know what I need right now? I need to be, you need to be strong in spirit. The Bible talks about John the Baptist in Luke 1. It says that before God used him to prepare the way for Jesus, it says that he was growing stronger and stronger in the spirit until the day that he was to be used. You and I are the same way. If we want God to use us, we better start growing stronger and stronger in spirit. In fact, if we want to be used of God right now, there is no way that the church can really be used in a mighty way if we are not strong in the things of the spirit right now, because the world is not just complicated. The moment we're living in is not just complicated, but the moment we're living in is actually complex. I want to talk about that for just a second. Complexity. I like what Pastor Mark Sayers, uh, he's been talking about this. There's a difference between complicated and complex. You see, we're all products of the industrial age. That means we think linearly. We think point A leads to point B leads to point C. We think inputs and outputs. If we do this, then we know this will be the result. This will happen. But right now we're living in a time where if we think linearly, nothing makes sense. Nothing is making sense. And, and I, want, I want to say this isn't a political statement, but think of all the ways we've been thinking linearly in this current moment and it's not working. Everybody remembers, hey, if we just shut down for 14 days, we'll slow the spread. We'll stop the spread, right? Everybody remembers that. If we all wear a mask and we distance, this will end the virus. If we get herd immunity, then this will end. If we all get vaccinated, then this will end. I'm not making political statements. I'm just showing how we think in the West. We think linearly. If we will do this, then this is what will result but we are not living in a time where anything is happen, happening linearly. It seems like all the efforts we've tried 
Nothing is working. These are complex times, not just compl complicated times. Margaret Heffernan says this, the two are not the same. Complexity isn't just complicated on steroids. Complicated environments are linear, follow rules and are predictable like the assembly line. They can be planned, managed, repeated and controlled. They're maximized by routine and efficiency. And if there's anything we've learned, not from 2020, but from 2021, it is that we cannot plan. We cannot, we can't uh, control anything. What we've come to realize is we cannot predict the future. We're living in times where you can't plan six months, a year in advance. You can't plan a week in advance. This is a complex environment. And so that means we can no longer be on spiritual autopilot. We can no longer be half-hearted. The control we thought we had is really just an illusion. We do not have control. And so what does it do when we lose control? It pushes us to a posture. It pushes us like Paul to our knees where we have to cry out to God to strengthen us in the inner man and in our spirit. God is going to make us dependent upon him again. Listen, we rarely grow independency when we're comfortable. We rarely grow in the things of God when we're comfortable, but it's when we're flat on our back and we have no other option but to call out on God for strength. And man, in this moment, in this complex environment, in this complex society we live in, we can't just think we can just push a button and church is gonna grow and everything's gonna get better and this is how we do it. No, no, we're back to a daily dependence upon the things of God and the things of the spirit. We gotta be strong in the spirit. And here's what I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you that you need to be strong in your own strength. I'm telling you that we need to be strong in his strength. He is strong. Paul said from his glorious, unlimited resources, strengthen them in their inner man. I'm not telling you to be strong. I'm telling you, you got to learn to pull on the power of the one who has unlimited resources. Pull on his power for strength. We need strength from another world, not strength that this world can give us. We need to call out on God we need to be strong in the spirit. And Paul says, I, want, I pray that they'll be strong in the spirit so that Christ dwells in their hearts. Now, this seems like an odd prayer. If, the, if people in Ephesus, if they're already following Jesus, doesn't Christ already live in their heart? Come on, isn't that elementary principles? 101 Sunday school, invite Christ to come and live in your heart. And why would Paul be praying for Christ to dwell in their hearts if Christ already lives there? Because what Paul is not talking about is a one-time event. He's not talking about some prayer you prayed seven year, when you were seven years old in Sunday school or when you joined the church and walked up and shook the pastor's hand. Paul is talking about a process. He's talking about from beginning to end. He's praying that a complete indwelling of Christ happens in our lives. There should be for every believer a growing experience of the nearness of Christ in your life. This means that the lordship and the reign of Christ should be growing more and more and more in our lives. It's not just about a one-time surrender. I like to say it this way. Yesterday's surrender is not enough for today. Today, I must surrender again. I must give more today than I did yesterday. And, and, and I'm not 
saying that tongue in cheek. I'm not saying that cliche-ish. What Paul is praying here is that Christ would reign more and more in our lives. How do we do that? How do we, how do we give God more of our lives? How does Christ come to dwell more and more in our lives? And I, I, like, to, I like to call it two things. There's the glory and the grind, okay? The glory and the grind. You see, I believe in the glory. I believe in moments where you have an encounter with God and it changes your life in an instant. I can remember moments growing up. I can remember growing in the Lord. I can take you to certain spots. I can take you to certain rooms. I remember one time when I was reading my Bible, studying intently about the prodigal son. And I got up, I closed my Bible, I got up to leave. And as, as I was leaving, I heard the Lord speak to me, not audibly, but in my spirit. I heard him speak to me about the passage that I was reading. Like God spoke to me and no one can ever convince me that he didn't. I know it was the voice of the Lord. That was a glory moment for me. I can take you back to youth conferences when the, the anointing in the room would be so strong. And man, it was just like, I've never experienced anything like this in my life. And what is it? Those are glory moments. Those moments shaped me. Those were moments, that glory moments are like dynamite where God just explodes or breaks down mountains in front of you. I love glory moments. We all long for glory moments, but can I tell you those moments are not every day. Those moments are not necessarily the norm. Listen to this statement. Probably, maybe the most life-changing or the most growth that you will experience in your life will not come from just glory moments alone, but they also come from daily routines, daily routines of following God that shape you and mold you over time. You see, there's, Glory moments, that's like dynamite that's, that explodes, but there's also grind moments. It's the day-to-day -day faithfulness of just following Jesus. And those moments, instead of exploding through mountains, they're more like Grand Canyon moments. They're more like, you know, the Grand Canyon, scientists say it was formed by the Colorado River that flows through there. And after years and years and years of that river flowing against that mountain, that that river begins to carve out the beautiful thing we know today as the Grand Canyon. You see, river, not only dynamite can take down mountains, but rivers also can cut through shape and form mountains the spirit of God, the river of God over time will shape and form and change your life. There are some things that you have to pray about, not just once, but you got to keep on praying and keep on seeking and keep on asking. It might not happen in a glory moment. It might be the constant flow of the river of God in your life. And over time, over years of praying, something changes. There's a lady, her name's Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's a neuroscientist, but she's also a believer. And I want you to listen to what she says about prayer. She says, it's been found that, listen, 12 minutes of focused prayer over an eight week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. This type of prayer increases activity in brain areas associated with social interaction, compassion, and sensitivity to others. It also increases the frontal lobe activity as focus and intentionality increase. Listen to what she said. 12 minutes a day, eight weeks, and your brain can literally change. What is that? That's the shaping power of God over time. 
not a glory moment, but that river over time eroding things in your life that need to go. Listen, I, I ask people all the time, well, have you prayed about it? And like, yeah, man, I've prayed about it. I've asked God. But maybe they ask God one time, one moment. Hey, God, what about this? God, I need this. And then they just leave it and walk away from it. Listen, there are some things over time you got to let God shape and form. There's going to be those glory moments. There's going to be those dynamite moments. But I'm telling you, we all need to learn to let the river of God over time shape us and change us. And you know what? It could be as little as 12 minutes every day for eight weeks. And whatever that issue is or that problem or that struggle you're having could change in your life. So he prays for the strength of the inner man. He prays to be that Christ would dwell richly in their hearts. And then lastly, he prays this prayer that the, they would be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. And Paul's prayer is funny. He's asking God to do a supernatural work in them. He asks God for them to know what they can't possibly know, but they need to know, but they don't even have the strength to know. He's asking them that they could know the love of God, but God's love is so great. I like how Pastor Matt Chandler says it. He says, you need to know what you know. I know you know it, but do you know it? There's a difference. If I were to tell you today, hey, look, Jesus loves you. In your mind, you already know that. You think, man, that's so simple. That's elementary. Of course, Jesus loves me. I know that he loves me. But see, you know it here. You know it here. What Paul is talking about is he wants that knowledge to make a trip from here to here. And there is a difference. You need to know what you know. You need to experience the love of God and the love of Christ. You need to be rooted and grounded in it. You don't just need cerebral brain knowledge. You need an experience. You need a revelation to travel from your heart to your head. And Paul is praying that he's praying that the, the Ephesians will have a deeper experience of God's love because that love will ground them. It will make them secure. It will give them a bedrock. And you know, I don't know today, I think most of us probably do struggle with insecurity. We struggle with trying to be worthy. Some, we're trying to make something of ourselves so somebody will notice us, so someone will give us an attaboy. And we all like a good encouragement. We all need encouragement. But man, if we're living our life to be seen or to be noticed or to, we'll do anything, you know, to, to, to get that affirmation. What, what Paul is saying is, hey, the antidote to insecurity isn't you being somebody or trying hard. The antidote to insecurity is knowing how much God loves you, experiencing that love. You don't have to have anybody give you an attaboy or an girl because you know God loves you. And it just brings a security. It just brings a security. I don't need the attention or affirmation of anyone else because I know that my Father in heaven loves me. How could Jesus get on his knees and, and take a towel and a water basin and wash the feet of disciples? I mean, he takes the role of a, a slave and the, the, he takes the, the smallest role and he serves the disciples. How can he do that? Read it in John. It says, because he knew, he knew where he was from and he knew where he was going, he was secure. <laughs> May we be so secure in the love of Jesus. But it's not a head knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. 
We've got to get it from here to here. How do we do that? Oh, we got to ask God. We got to do what Paul did. Paul asked God. He's asking God, God, do this. Bring revelation. Let me see. Let me experience your love today. Show me your glory. Show me how much you love me. It's, we've got to stop. We've got to think deeply about what Jesus did on the cross for us. We got to take time, even if it's just 12 minutes a day for eight weeks <laughs> until we come to the revelation and the knowledge that God loves us so much. That's what our roots have to go down into. Our roots have to sink into his love. I don't know what your roots are going down to today. What are you sinking into today? Like what's nourishing you? Where have you, where have you put your roots? I hope you haven't put your roots in news sources. I hope you haven't put your roots in, in uh, American identity politics. I hope you haven't sunk your roots into those things because those things will not feed you. They will not ground you. It's only God's love rooted and grounded in his love. Will we ever be what he's called us to be? I don't want to just know about God. I truly want to know God. And it reminds me of this. This, this is a very preachery anecdote. I heard it when I was a kid, but it's a story that stuck with me and it makes sense to me. And maybe it'll make sense to you. It's a story from the 1800s uh, when before TV and all that kind of stuff where actors used to travel around and town halls and put on shows and people would come and there was one such actor who came to a Midwestern town and he was a great orator. He was known for how good he could speak, how well he could speak. And he, and at one point during the show, it's a packed house and he takes requests from the audience that he could recite like their favorite poem or something that they love and he would recite it. And an old man from the crowd raises his hand and he asks if the orator would repeat the 23rd Psalm. And the orator thought about it for a second. He said, here, I'll tell you what, I'll say it. But the only way I'm gonna do it is after I'm done, if you come up here and you say it after me. And the old man said, well, okay. I mean, that's fine. So the great orator gets up and he speaks and it just, man, he speaks with such power and it just rolls off of his tongue. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, just... I mean, he speaks it and it's amazing. And the crowd, when he's done, they just burst out into this great ovation. Like, oh man, I can't, he said it with such power. He's, the way he talks, it's awesome. And so the old man, now it's his turn. He's not a great speaker. He's not a great, he's not, a, you know, he doesn't look good, doesn't sound good. He's just, he's just a, a guy, <laughs> basically. And he gets up and he quotes the 23rd Psalm. But when he says it, he's, there's such a, he doesn't say it as powerfully as the other guy said it, but there's a glow about him. There's, there's something about him as he's speaking and he speaks it and it's, it, it's not beautifully said like the other guy said it. And he gets to the end where goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And there's just kind of a silence over the crowd. There's not a great ovation. There's, there's really the sound of handkerchiefs and people pulling out you know, something to wipe their nose with. They had been crying when he was reciting it. These people were crying and, you know, what's going on? And the orator steps up and he says, listen, I know the 23rd Psalm. I can recite the Psalm, but this man knows the shepherd. And you see, there's a difference. 
You can know this Bible. You can quote it all day long. He, I mean, the devil can do that. <laughs> it's not just about scripture memorization. It's not just about getting it here. It's not just about the, it's not just about the writings. It's about, do you know the writer? Are you, do you have experiential knowledge of his love, of his kindness, of his goodness? Do you have a, a firsthand knowledge of how wretched and how miserable you were and your life was before you came to Christ? And, and really there was nothing lovely about you that why would Christ even want you? Yet he just does and he loves you. And he gave his life for you. He sacrificed himself for you. He chose you. He purified you. He brings you near. He wants to spend eternity with you. And you see, those are all just words until it goes from here to here. And that's what Paul is praying. And that's what I'm praying for you today. That we don't just have knowledge in our brain. Not that we can quote the Psalm, but that we know the shepherd of the Psalm. And this is how Paul ends the prayer. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for your people today. Father, I pray we would be strong in spirit in these complex times. I pray you would strengthen us through the inner man, through your glorious and powerful resources. You would resource us and give us strength. We're dependent upon you to make it. Every day we need you. Lord, we ask that you would come and dwell in our hearts richly, not, not just one moment, but God, that every day you would grow more and more at home in us and we would allow your Lordship. We don't want just a savior, but we want a Lord, one that we can surrender our life to. We make lousy masters. You are the master and we wanna follow you. And Lord, lastly, I pray that we would not just know that you love us, but we would truly experience your love, that our roots would grow down so deep, we would be so secure that nothing could uproot us from this love. I pray that for your people today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Ephesians chapter three, church, I love you. Man, Paul's, these writings are so rich. We could spend weeks and weeks on this. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope this week you take some time, maybe, hey, 12 minutes every day, try it and see what happens. Pray about something, 12 minutes every day for eight weeks, it could change your life. Love you, we'll see you next week, nine and 11. Uh, live or 10 a.m. right here on Virtual Church.